Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart Centered Therapist podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and today I am delighted to bring you my guest. It is a real privilege to introduce you to Joelle Melitis. Joelle is a highly acclaimed international speaker, licensed psychotherapist, and trauma expert with a global following. She holds a Master's of Arts degree in education, a Master's of Fine Arts degree in dance, a Master's of Counseling Psychology with a specialization in trauma, and she is a clinical PhD of psychology with dissertation candidate. Joelle's career highlights include a feature on TED Top 10 Mental Health Videos for authoring a TED Ed's PTSD video, executive coach for Apple, Google, Netflix, Zoom, and other Silicon Valley executives. Joelle is the CEO and clinical supervisor at JRM&A Inc., which she created to help others discover their hopes, dreams, and abilities to thrive through adversity. And she recently published her book, which I've had the privilege to preview. Her book is titled, Give Yourself Self-Love, a journal for non-journalers. Joelle is a California native who loves spending time with her family, children, and pets. And she loves skiing, traveling, running like I do, biking, cooking, and adventures. Wow, we have waited so long to make this happen. Thank you so much, Joelle. Oh, thank you for having me, Cindy. We have. I think we've been going back and forth trying to get this conversation going, and I'm super excited to finally share it with you today. Yes, me too. And we will talk about so many things, and I know we have a great episode ahead for our listeners. I always start by asking this question, what does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? I love this question. I It gives me so much joy just thinking about that. For me, it really is holistic, mind, body, and spirit. And it's not just paying attention to my clients holistically and what they're doing and needing and, and the different kinds of support that they're needing, but also the joy that it brings me in, in different levels, how I carry myself in session and, and work through my own issues and, and trauma and, and things like that. And in no way are, are we perfect as therapists at all and or, or have it all together and figured out. So I think it's really doing my best work is when I'm in alignment with myself, I'm going to therapy, I'm, I'm taking care of myself, I'm doing what I need. And I'm able to show up authentically as me with my clients. And there's not a lot of pretense and we can do good work together, whatever that looks like. And every day is different. Oh, so beautiful. Yes. I love how you describe that. And almost like your client's impact your heart too. And so you really are there, you show up, you're present. That's part of that being authentic. 
and shedding the pretense, which is hard to do, especially when so much is at stake for our dear clients' lives, right? And there's a difference between showing up and everybody's my friend with, without having proper boundaries versus showing up and being willing to be vulnerable as a therapist and sharing the experience. And I learn from my clients all the time. There's I And I joke and, and tell stories with my clients and use that as teaching moments where I'll often talk about me in therapy where I am the worst patient ever. I don't do my homework. And having to learn, learning how to journal was just mind blowing for me where I just didn't want to do the work. And so I would show up in therapy and I was willing to talk about doing the work. But then when it was time to sit down and and really implement it, I was super resistant, arms crossing, I'm not going to do this. And my therapist is great. And I still see the same person I've seen for literally 20 years. And she at one point said, you know what, when you're done suffering, you let me know. And I love telling that story because it sounds so harsh. <laughs> and at the same time, it's what I needed, right? I needed somebody to be able to sit with me through all of my shenanigans and finally go, all right, it, is this really working for you? So I think about those times and how I can show up and not just learn from my clients, but be willing to sit there and be vulnerable in the process where I don't always have all of the answers. And I don't know, I don't have a magic wand to make it better and, and things like that. And it, it, it takes a lot of I think self-preservation, but also being willing to look at our own selves and, and our own hangups, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that vulnerable piece with us. I, I don't take that for granted. And it's really empowering for my therapist listeners to hear, imagine that you've had the same therapist for 20 years. Shout out to Joelle's therapist. <laughs> and, and also just that we can be really lousy clients. We might not do our homework because we feel those same pressures, fears, hesitations, right? We're human. And yeah. that's just, it's such an important reminder yeah. And I think I don't want to mislead anyone and say I've been in weekly therapy for 20 years. I think we kind of wax and wane in our own therapeutic process. Absolutely. You know, but I joke with clients. I'm like, look, anything that you do as a client, believe me, I've already done in my own therapy. I've not shown up. I've not called. I've ghosted. I've <laughs> yeah, like right. all of it. That's so great. That's a beautiful way of really aligning and being vulnerable with your clients. Like, self-disclosure that works. You mentioned, and so we're just going to dive right in. You mentioned that you didn't even want a journal and here you are <laughs> having published a <Right>. journal. <laughs> I know. I joke. And when I first started working on this project, I love buying them and I had to do some a funny self-reflection and self-disclosure with my team. And I sent them a picture of, I think I have over a hundred, literally over a hundred journals. I love buying them. I never do them. Wow. And I'm, and I said, okay. Just for the record, I have one in the cart on Amazon that somebody showed me, <laughs> right? So it's, this is a thing. We love journals and I love looking at them. And so for a long time, I said, I'm doing them in my own way. I just, I, when I take a shower, I think about the journal prompt. And again, I can see my therapist rolling her eyes. There's a lot of truth to that. And, and so I wrote the journal and I wanted it to be skills-based and I wanted it to be accessible because I work in the realm of trauma, having something that wasn't deep process-based with no therapeutic support 
was really important. I didn't want a journal that was going to re-traumatize people and they didn't have access to therapy and, and other supports. It, it took lo a, a long time to create because I wanted it to have that empirically based researched foundation. And also this idea of, okay, you can pick it up and it's day by day. It can take five minutes. You could do the whole journal in four hours if you really wanted to. It's it's It can go as deep as you want to go. And so to answer your question, it really wasn't until a couple months ago, this true story, I'm doing a podcast. We were talking about journaling specifically on the podcast, and I just said it, and it was me being completely vulnerable and authentic. And as I came out of my mouth, I'm like, what did I just say? And what I said is, I've come to the realization that journaling is terrifying for me. In my head and talking about it in therapy and doing the thought exercises, I'm able to keep myself removed. I it, It's externalized and I don't really have to relive it because I intellectual, I rationalize everything. I talk about everything. But when I write it down and I put it on paper and I have to look at it, it's so raw and visceral that it's scary. And I don't want to see it. I don't want to relive it. And I said this and I'm like, oh, what did I just say? And, and at the same time, that is really my truth is I love to journal, but it's really scary for me. And so when I started working through, okay, what did I just write? I think that was a subconscious safeguard is I didn't want it to be scary for people. I wanted it to be a, a good place for people to start. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think I definitely share that perspective too. Just writing something makes it so real. Or I remember finding some all this kind of disclosure, but I found some things and I was like, whoa, wouldn't want anyone to find these, right? To read them. So I'd have to find a way to throw them out. But even that felt strange because it is scary. It's so much of our raw, unedited selves that changes. We may not be the person 10, 20 years ago who wrote those phrases that we are now. And so it's just fraught with so much. I'm super curious then, how does this journal give us those training wheels to feel safe and start the process? Yeah. So it, it's going back to the kind of first question about being holistic. It's mind, body, spirit. It uses a lot of empirically based theories, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy. There's some tapping, mindfulness, breath work. And so it, it's a bunch of different, easily accessible skills for people to just start the process of healing. And whatever that looks like, whether that's trying to begin to work on something that's serious like trauma, or whether that's feeling down or having, you know, lower self-esteem, everyone coming out of the pandemic and being really isolated, I think is having some unique struggles with that. So there are skills that help address that with anxiety and breath work. It, it's got a reference, it's got a glossary, it's got a reference section of all of the research and the books that we use to create it. But that's the theory is that it, it really is skills-based. It's a new skill every day. Some are going to work great. Others you're, people won't like. There's mm -hmm. stuff in there that I use every day. There's stuff in there that just doesn't resonate with me and that's okay. So the idea is that you find something that works for a little while and then you see how you feel. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It gives you opportunities to try a bunch of different things. There's a few process questions and longer form journaling. There's some bullet point list making. So there's, it, it's just an entry level into a bunch of different ways to approach doing some self-growth work. And hopefully one, one or two or three, right, land and people go, oh, this is what I want to do, or this is the next piece I want to explore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that it's also um, evidence-based. And I remember that really standing out to me. I reviewed a PDF version of it. Thank you for that opportunity and privilege. And of course, they're also like, it's really beautifully done with nice colors and little bubble drawings. And I don't even know what you call those type of drawings, but it's lovely. It's so lovely and it's comprehensive. And you really could see how this variety of different ways that whether it's a different approach, CBT or DBT, whether it's short or long types of responses, it's so accessible and we feel differently each day. So one day maybe it works, but share with our listeners also like it's a pretty long journal, right? It's 31 days. It's just, it's got a lot of pages. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's We'll link to it and say the title again in case somebody's listening and they want to uh, look it up right now. Oh, sure. It's Give Yourself Self-Love, a journal for non-journalers. It's on Amazon. So I know you'll put it in the show notes. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. But no, it's thick. It's a lot of pages. Um, Part of it is because it's mostly graphics. It's not a lot of reading. So we took empirically based research and theories and then turned it into graphics. And so my graphic, the illustrator did a brilliant job of taking some pretty convoluted information and putting it into an image that made sense. Yes. The care and detail, it really comes through. So Joelle, one thing that I'm really struck by is you've created this journal for non-journalers and it's not that it's like touchy-feely, but there's like that opportunity there. And you're an expert working with people in Silicon Valley that I imagine are like the opposite of somebody who wants to pick up a journal. How does this kind of inform your work? I'm so curious. Is there a difference or do you find that those people in in Apple and Google and Netflix are interested also in this self-reflection through a journal? I think it's like everything else, it's client dependent. Some aren't, some are interested in, I just want skills right? I don't want to do any of the writing for whatever reason, or it's time-based. I think it's, I think it's just completely client dependent. For me, it, it's how I practice. And so in fact, I was just having this conversation with um, my team today in clinical supervision about what does it mean to be eclectic? I think therapists think that when we say we're eclectic, it means that we don't really have a lot of fine-tuned training, right? We know a little bit about a lot of different things and we kind of work in a very muddy space. And for me, and and the importance of my team is that eclectic means that you're well-trained in the theories that you're practicing and that I have certifications in all of the theoretical models that I use and I'm picking and choosing what I think will work for that client in that particular session. Some clients, there are very strict models that I use like EMDR or or cognitive processing therapy, post-traumatic growth, where there's a very strict protocol. And there are other clients where they come in and I'm like, what are we working on today? And I think more the Silicon Valley type 
they're coming in and they they either have a very clear agenda, which is not at all what's going on. They're like, I want to talk about this and this. And I'm like, yeah, but re- what's really bothering <laughs> Or they come in and they're like, I'm stressed out. I can't make any changes. It, life is just the way it is between work and home and whatever, all these other hats that I wear and I'm just stressed and I'm anxious. And so then we're trying to figure out, okay, what small tweaks can we make okay, is it too much to ask for you to stand up every hour and take 10 deep belly breaths, right? Is it too much to ask to do one walking meeting? Sometimes the answer is yes. So then it's okay, let's scale back then. Is it too much to ask to just roll your shoulders when you notice that you're feeling tense? No, that I could do. Okay, cool. Let's start there. And, And it seems maybe trite or remedial, but a lot of it is the rapport and the buy-in. And so for me, that eclectic piece or holistic piece is about having very clear and concise training and in different models that you're then client focused. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. That was, so the workbook is really just a big over umbrella of how I work anyway. Yes. That's wonderful. I can just feel what how masterful you are in your work as a therapist. And it's so refreshing to hear how important the relationship is, how important rapport is. And also that way you've just defined eclectic, because I think sometimes we maybe feel like we're sold short because we say we're eclectic. And yet we do have deep training in several different approaches And we choose based on our clinical judgment, what we're pulling in. Um, But it doesn't mean that we haven't done that deep intensive work. So that's really important. Yeah. And for you said for the therapist listeners or the new newly licensed or or becoming therapists, continuing education, I know it seems like a hassle and it takes away from client hours. I completely get it at the same time. For me, it's fundamentally key. I I get to have the label of being an expert or a master in what I do. And I'm reading constantly. I'm taking webinars constantly. I'm taking new training. I'm going to consultation. I We don't know everything. There's no way to know everything. And so I've always kept that open mindset for myself and then for my team and modeling that as a way of just continuing to value education and, and learning. Sometimes it's just, oh, I didn't like that theory. I'm not doing that. Some like that can be yeah. super helpful too. Yes, you know? absolutely. I think we are lifelong learners as therapists because we're always learning something new with each person that we meet. And we have to find ways to be ready and to explore whatever it is. And I am also like an education junkie and I love doing trainings. And I just started doing a a trauma training and always encouraging newly licensed therapists. Okay. Maybe there's a few CEUs you're just going to get that aren't as meaningful, but save some money and dive into something you really want to learn. And then we keep doing that, right? It doesn't stop. That's the thing. And I always say it's it's ongoing. I'm in my 50s and I'm still learning. And I always, I love to bring up this example, but my dear father is still reading his medical journals late into his 80s. And so it's just education and learning is so important. And in keeping up with, with all of the new stuff in the research that's coming out and deciding if, if it doesn't feel right 
for you, you, the listener, right? If it it doesn't resonate, you haven't drank the Kool-Aid, you don't have to, pra- there's so many theories. There's so many models that work. There are brilliant practitioners who specialize in one theory only, and they're brilliant and they get amazing results. So it isn't to say that eclectic is being the best way. It's just the way that I practice, but there's so much, there's so much out there. And part of the learning process is what do you gravitate to? What f- like that heart-centered piece, right? What fills your soul? What makes you excited about doing the work? And then, and that you are getting good results with. Yes. And listen for your own excitement. If you are drawn to a different practitioner or to, to an approach or a theory, look at where you get really excited. Or if you're talking to somebody and, and that happens, that's so telling. It really makes a difference of how you're going to feel satisfied also in this work and not burn out when you're really pursuing those avenues that feel like a good fit for you, that feel aligned with how you work. Absolutely. And it's important for the client because client, especially with trauma work where clients know if you have never experienced trauma and, and you don't have to experience trauma to be a good trauma therapist. That is not what I'm saying. Clients know when you're faking it. They know right away. They can feel it. And 100%. So, and that's different when you're first learning. Because when you're first learning, you're giving all of these self-disclosures. Oh, I'm just learning. I'm new. And clients are like, oh, okay, I get it. I still, even clients I've seen for, because I have clients I've seen for years now where I'm like, hey, just learn this thing. You want to be the guinea pig? And they laugh and they're like, sure. Okay. I'm like, I don't know I what I'm doing too. here. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's really true. Joelle, you said something and I wanted to just highlight because I loved it. And I'm always about helping therapists with if there's like a skill or a new thing that they can say. And that's such a beautiful permission-based thing that you use with your clients when you say, is it too much to ask? Is it too much to ask? That's a brilliant phrase. And so maybe one of our listeners will will try that out because it's so permission-giving And it invites a response that they can think about. I love it. Just really thank you for that. Yeah, of course. And to go with that, I am always, again, even clients I've seen for years, how's this working for you? How am I doing? How do you feel about the session? Did it work? Did, Did you like the fact that I gave you an hour of homework and it's okay if you're mad at me, I'll still show up next week and we'll work it out. But a lot, I am still constantly checking in is how does this feel? Are we going too fast? We're going too slow, right? Mm -hmm. And I think some of it is my crippling need for people-pleasing and imposter syndrome as a perfectionist, a career perfectionist. So some of it is just my neuroticism of, I'm just going to check in constantly and make sure everybody's okay. (laughs) And the, the other part to that, though, I think is that accountability, that vulnerability, that showing up and saying, I'm human too. We're on this journey together. And it's okay to say, I didn't like what you said to me, or I'm not resonating with this theory, or this doesn't feel good, or it's too much to add. Like, it's okay as the client to be real. And the therapist can say, of course, we can do it differently. Thank you so much for being honest with me. Thank you for telling me that. Thank you for telling me that this doesn't work for you. Yeah, I'm interested. Like that's exactly where we want to be with our clients. That's the heart-centered move right there. Yeah. And 
for some of my clients, I'm the first person they've ever heard that from, where it's okay to say something negative and be extremely vulnerable and anxious about that and have the other person in the room say, you're completely safe doing that. Mm -hmm. What a gift for them. Did you know one in five people will experience a mental health issue this year? Mentalhealththreads.com is your online shop dedicated to promoting mental health awareness and breaking the stigma surrounding mental illness. You can find fun, creative, and inspiring products like t-shirts, hoodies, and more, all with positive messages that remind us to take care of our mental health. Favorites like Perfectly Imperfect, your anxiety is telling you lies. It's okay to not do it all. And no risk, no magic. Plus, we have a special collection just for therapists, like our bestseller. I'm a mom and a therapist. Nothing scares me. So come check it out at mentalhealththreads.com. Our mission is to start important conversations about mental health and to remind you that you are not alone. Check out mentalhealththreads.com today. Joelle, I am really curious for you to share with our listeners because you have such a fascinating background and I see the beautiful book of ballet in the background of your, your office. You were in the professional dance world for 20 years before you became a therapist. Share a little bit about this story. <laughs> it's so fascinating. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think at my age, every little girl wanted to be either Cinderella or Cinderella Barbie or a ballerina. Mm -hmm. And I started dancing at three and wow. I started training when I was 12 and had my per first professional job at 16. Wow. And, and I, I got to be a professional ballerina. And so I did that for quite some time. And then switched over into doing other forms of dance. And my father, God love him. Um, would say, all right, you need to go to college. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I'll just finish high school early and which I, I went to night school. And so I was dancing and I went to night school and mm -hmm. finished high school right. a year early um, with my diploma and went to college because my dad's like, if you want to dance, we'll pay for your quote dance habit in air quotes, but you have to go to college. So I started racking up college degrees because I'm like, dad said he's going to pay for dance if I just go to school and <laughs> how hard could this be? So I, I learned a lot of different dance styles and diversified mm -hmm. a little bit, but I kept my career going for 22 years. Amazing. I dance department. And then I had career ending injuries. And at that point, my life was falling apart. And so I had a, a one-year-old, not even, the, the kids were barely one and three. I was now going through a divorce, never dealt with any of my trauma, my childhood trauma, hadn't really done therapy. I'd been in and out. No How trauma being a dancer either. And yeah, and, and my dissertations and broad spectrum eating disorders, trauma and addiction, we can draw the dots here. It's not yeah. that hard as a ballerina. Right. Yeah. Right. I, but I, I was, didn't do any work on myself. And my life was really imploding. And it was the first time I said, okay, I'm willing to try therapy. Mm. And I did it because I'm like, this will save my marriage. It did not, but it did save me. And my therapist, again, same therapist I see, she worked with me at where I was at, which was resistant, 
unwilling to talk about it, struggling with postpartum depression, struggling with a lot of loss. I had a loss between my two children. Now I was losing my marriage. She just sat with me and was able to give me a place for the first time where I had to learn how to be real and I was so unwilling to do it. I wore a mask my entire life. I put on the mask. I was a dancer. I, I got to be something that that so many people dreamt of doing. And that's what I did for a living. And it was really easy to hide. And then that was another huge loss of your career. And then that sort of masked identity. That was all you knew. So that's a loss too. Yeah. And not understanding that all of this is trauma and grief. And it took me a long time to learn that. It wasn't like I, I went to therapy for two years and I was healed and then went to psych school. I went to therapy for two years and went, psychology sounds interesting. Let's try it. I was in the throes of doing my PhD in dance history and I hated it. And I was so unhappy with, I, I loved dancing and I loved teaching dance and coaching. I hated studying. Like I didn't want to lecture about Martha Graham yeah, and, and I didn't want to be a college administrator. And so part of it is living in Silicon Valley now as a single mom with a one-year-old and a three-year-old, I'm like, this doesn't pay the bills. So what am I going to do? And I found myself in a therapy program with no training, understanding, background, experience, other than I was really struggling in my own therapeutic process. And I just remember my therapist saying to me, what have you done now? And you know, <laughs> we like, what have you done now? And that's because she's such a good therapist. She inspired you. She, she it's very much. And at the same time, she was able to keep that bottom for me and help me hold it together when I, I needed somebody to to do that, to, yeah. to help give me that reality check. And I, who better, Joelle, than you? You've been through the trauma, you've been through loss and grief and identity search, right? Who better? Yeah. And so I, I it, it was one of those things where I went into it and I said, I'm never going to love anything. And put your hand on your forehead for those of you that are listening, right? So hyper- hyperbolic and dramatic. I'm never <laughs> going to find anything that I love as much as being a, like as much I, as being a dancer. I don't think that's necessarily so dramatic. It was your career that sweat and blood. It was a physical yeah. as well as other physical, emotional, spiritual, the whole thing. It was your whole career. It, it, and, and it and very much my identity. Identity. And, and, and in some ways it still is today. And it's a weird shift. There are still mornings where I wake up and I go, oh, I'm not going to the studio. I'm like, that's not my job anymore. And I didn't understand that that was grief, that I was going through this huge amount of grief and loss, and, and, right? And trauma. But I, at some point it, and I don't think it was conscious. At some point it was acceptance where I went, I'm going to be a therapist it's going to be okay. And, and I'll figure it out. And I have support. And it, at some point, that turning point of just accepting that I, there, I can't go, but I'm never going to, I'm never going to dance professionally at the level I was dancing again. I just, my body won't allow it. And I have to deal with the body betrayal piece mm -hmm. and it's going to be okay. And I ended up loving being a therapist. And what's funny is I love this job as much as I love dancing. Oh, wow. That's but there so was a, beautiful. A lot of this radical acceptance that I had to, 
that I had to learn. And I'm still working on it. I still off and on, I'm in therapy and was talking to my therapist a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, all right, what should I be doing? She's look on your bookshelf, see the book called Radical Acceptance. I'm like, yep. She goes, why don't you take it out and read it? And I'm like, okay, we're doing this again. Like here I right. am. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A page from your journal might be better. <laughs> yeah. Joelle, thank you again. That's such a huge vulnerable share of your life story with our listeners. And I'm so grateful for that because it touched me. I got chills so many different times when you were talking. And I know that other people have had similar experiences with huge loss and having to come to that radical acceptance, or maybe they're still in the throes of it. And you're giving people hope, right? That you can still come to accept whatever that is. And also find passion, find joy, find fulfillment and meaning. It's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Does dance still play a role in your life nowadays? You said you had some injuries, but do you still get to have fun with dancing or what's it look like for you now? Yeah, it's a lot of dancing in the kitchen. During COVID, I had one when my son was sent home from college. Oh. Uh, during COVID. And my daughter was that great senior class of 2020 who had been home. And so we had a lot of dance parties in the kitchen and taught him how to dance salsa. And we learned country dancing together. So it shows up that way. I'm constantly in motion. You can yes. find me like dancing down the market aisle when I'm grocery shopping and Aww. a song will come on and I'll just be, a. am just very silly. So it's very much a huge part of me. I am in that stage where I'm far enough removed from it now where I every once in a while say, maybe I'll take a class. I'd love to travel and had an opportunity with my daughter. We were traveling for the first time when it was safe after COVID and in a, in a foreign country and they were dancing Argentine tango in the street. And I just stopped and I was videotaping it and I started to cry. Oh. And she's, what is going on with you? And I'm like, I wanted to see this for this has been such a dream of mine to be able to just experience this and and just watching and getting to be a part of that just like completely spontaneous moment was huge. So it, it very much still shapes my my everyday. I, I make sure that I'm in I use movement as part of my way to manage my anxiety and work with my trauma. I do a lot of somatic work on myself to help me move through that. Um, and it plays a part, but I think at this point, there's still this love-hate relationship in the yeah. sense of there's a fear of, if I go back to class, I'm never going to be as good. I'm not 20 anymore, right? I'm not yeah. going to be as good as I was. I, so I still think I need to work over some of my own negative core beliefs and self getting yeah. in my own way with things, but I love it. And it's just, I think it'll always be a part of me. Yes. You smile and light up when you talk about it. And that's just a, such a cool image that you got to experience yeah. those dancers. And it's really nice. And of course, you have so much poise and that's part of being a ballerina. Like you can just see that, which is beautiful. That hasn't left you. <laughs> so lovely. Yeah. So Joelle, just thinking about kind of the last couple of points we might lead into, we've talked about so much already and you are 
a trauma expert, but also really good with self-care and mindset. And in some ways, we're talking about your own shifts to change your mindset and work with self-love for healing. Maybe there's something that you'd like to share around either the self-care or the mindset piece that feels like it blends with what we've been discussing already. Yeah, I think mindset is very much about self-care. And it, it a lot of this stuff sounds so easy. Oh, just just take some deep breaths. Oh, just meditate. Oh, just if it were that easy, everybody listening would be doing it. Yes. <laughs> it's simple concepts. It's not easy to implement. And so I always tell people, pick something, start slow. If your goal is to start exercising, going to the gym every day for an hour at a time will not create results. We end up giving up, right? Or we have one setback and then we stop. Start with setting smart goals that are easily obtainable. If you want to get more movement, say, you know what, after dinner, I'm going to walk around the block. If you go for twice around the block, cool. If you do it for an hour, like getting out of the habit of being attached to the outcome and more about doing the activity and being present in it. So start small, make it accessible and do one little thing every day. It doesn't have to be the same thing. Even if you're like, today, I feel like I'm going to start a gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. Just keep it today. You know, what are three things you're grateful for today? Tomorrow, if you feel like, hey, tomorrow's my exercise day and I'm going to go out for a walk. Cool. Do that. If the next day you're like, I'm going to buy myself a nice coffee treat, do that. We get hung up on the magnitude and the overwhelm of, I have to make this huge life change. And it's just not doable that way because it's not obtainable. So picking small things, I love acronyms. I love skills. I have for all of the therapists listening and and for clinical supervisors, I stole this from my clinical director. The acronym is WAIT, W-A-I-T, why am I talking? I added WAIT BOSS, B-O-S, because of stupid stuff and Uh little acronyms. And I have, if you could see my computer, post-it notes everywhere. I have a quote that says, it is not my job to be popular. It's my job to make hard decisions as a CEO. Mm -hmm. Anything like that, a, a small reminder to yourself that helps shift your mindset where you're willing to take a risk. And like I said, that may just be, I'm going to put my shoes on and I'm going to walk around the block one time. And that is what I'm willing to commit to today. Tomorrow is a totally different day. Mm -hmm. Such great advice. I hope everybody rewinds this. And especially it's also really motivating when Joelle shares it with us, right? Who wouldn't want to just try it? And it's, it's filled also with that self-compassion for us, right? Like today we might do the walk and then we can't, for whatever reason, keep up. Okay. The gratitude journal, that was an even better example. We can't do it. We don't do it the next day. That's okay. Have that grace and compassion for yourself and do do something else the day after. It's a one day thing. This is all we have. We only have this day. That's all. And so again, it makes so much sense, but we all need those reminders. And it was just so inspiring and motivating the way you shared it, Joelle. I, your clients are so lucky. Your staff is so lucky. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. They really are. 
And I did that today too. Like I had a busy schedule. We're both busy. And I was like, oh, I need to work out. I'm, I was going to work out for an hour because I felt good this morning. The time goes too and gets smaller and smaller and I couldn't work out. I could. So I go to the basement instead of going out for a run because that'll be faster. And I did my workout video. And you know what? The video um, person, she's even if you think, okay, I have 30 minutes but I only have 20 minutes, really. I'm not going to do the workout. She's just work out for 20 minutes. That's better than nothing. What a great reframe for me. So I get there and I do the workout. I feel much better. <laughs> yeah. And we, I think we, we are our own worst enemies, right? We get in our own way. It's not perfect. It's not how I, it should. There's a lot of shoulda that, that mommy finger pointing we do to ourselves. Oh, you should be, you should, according to whom, who said so? right? No. So stop shooting. And again, if it were that easy, you'd all be doing it. I would be doing it. It's not that easy, right? This is stuff that's so ingrained in who we are from a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons, right? So just sometimes it's even just being mindful of, wow, I'm just, I feel really negative. Okay. What do I need to do to just reset? Is it, do I need to phone a friend? Do I need to just check out for 10 minutes? Do I need to if you're at work, do I need to get up and just go wash my hands with some cold water and just what do I need to push the reset button? Sometimes it can be as small as that of just paying attention of what like, oh, wow, I'm not being very kind to myself. What's that about? Why am I doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And these suggestions are real, folks. I intentionally wash my hands every morning, right? I set that time aside and it's a way to center yourself. So you find what works for you, but Joelle's suggestions are really powerful and I encourage you to listen to this part again, or also pick up her book. We're going to give you all of the information for that. One more question that's always on my heart when I'm talking to therapists is about community. How has community impacted you in your work as a therapist, community and connection? That That's a great question. It's a great question as we've, my practice is throughout, we're, we're centered in California, we're throughout the US. So it's oh, completely remote. I didn't um, realize that. Amazing. And it's very hard because being a therapist, even when you're in an office, seeing people in, in an office is a very, I say it's a very lonely job. It's a very isolating job. And people are like, but you're talking to people all day long. It's That's not really what therapists do. It is very difficult, I think, to, to find community and connections. So, so I, I would say three different points to that. One is having a group um, of people community connection, whatever, whether that's going to a yoga class or hanging out with your friends and family, that it's something that is not your job, that it has nothing to do with therapy. That's really just something, part of who you are and what you love. That's a very important piece to staying grounded in your own healing, your own work, like you said, without to avoid burnout. I think community and connection as a therapist in two different ways. One is your peers and people that are learning where you're able to provide, even if you're not a clinical supervisor, even if you've just finished grad school, that you're providing mentorship for somebody who is in an earlier part of the process than you are um, is re very rewarding. 
all I about learned, that. Yeah, Mentorship learned, is huge. Yeah. And I learned just as much from my mentees and my supervisees that and clients that I do from the people that I seek counsel from. And then finding support and community from those that are where you want to be in your mm -hmm. career, whether that's a specific model, whether that's someone like me who has a, a clinic or somebody who's had a private practice and as a sole provider for many years. There's lots of different models. Somebody who works in a hospital or residential, there, there's a lot of different models. And so that you're connecting with people who have wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's that three-pronged approach to find support and community because we can't get it all from one area. It's just not possible. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. And especially those pieces of it, it, it intertwines with our whole journey and career as therapists, right? That we need that human side of our connection. And then that part of giving back and maybe teaching or sharing our experience with somebody earlier in the field, and then seeking that support and growth through somebody that has um, the wisdom or the specialty that we really are so interested in. That's so beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Joelle, so you're just share a little as we wrap up here about your clinic. This is amazing that it's all online and in all different states too. Yeah, so we have we have people in multiple states. Um, we have a coaching program that we're um, launching this year. If people want to, who've done therapy and are ready to do some coaching, or they are already working with a therapist and want to do some executive coaching, but the clinic is trauma informed and it's trauma focused. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. I have an am amazing team. Um, everybody does something a little bit different. And so I think that's what makes it fun. It's you so know. fun. Yeah. Fun it's is so important. We have to still find ways to have fun with what we're doing even in our careers. And that's an amazing that you've built it up and now you're expanding to coaching and executive coaching. So lots of growth in, in 2024 and me learning how to delegate. So <laughs> yes, I want to know some more of your sticky notes. Those are great. <laughs> my sticky, I've got, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> A lot. And just really practicing what I preach is the biggest thing is that like I said, I still, when I go to therapy, when I need it, that I still take classes, that I get to do amazing podcasts like this, Cindy, where oh. these organic conversations are so rich and I always walk away feeling energized. And so anybody out there who wants to be on a pod, go just send an email. Hey, I love your show. I want to be on your show. Here's what I can offer you. It's really fun. And yes. finding your, your way of getting that, that joy and that reward from doing the work, right? Because it, being a therapist is hard. It's yeah. a hard job. It, it is. It's a hard job. Being a dancer is hard. Being a therapist is hard. <laughs> you don't shy away from hard things. <laughs> being a CEO is hard. I think every, yeah. I think being a right. mom is hard. I think by far that's the hardest thing. I have adult children now. Now I'm learning how to figure out how to parent one that's getting ready to graduate college and one that's been out of college for two years. And I'm like, I don't know how to parent early 20 children. So we're right. always learning. <laughs> yes, we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, thank you so much because you are 
a very busy CEO and therapist and for taking the time to spend this hour with my podcast listeners and me. I'm so grateful. I loved our conversation. I know everybody is really going to enjoy it too. And we'll make sure to share all of your links. But if you can just share with us where everyone can find you and also like maybe hold up your book again, just so we can see it. Oh, it's beautiful. Give yourself self-love. So nice. And Yes, it's hearts and rainbows and glitter. We are doing another version of it that'll be more of a natured theme for people that are not hearts and glitters and rainbow, but we got to start. Um, but thank you for allowing me to pitch the book. I, I appreciate it and your support. Um, Absolutely. It's my name, Joelle Rainbow Miletus. Um, it's phonetic, but I know you'll you'll drop it in the show notes for yes. those people that are listening to the show. So it's my name. That's the website. You could send me an email. I We respond to, to emails, even if it's like, hey, I'm in this state. Do you have a good EMDR therapist? Cool. We point you to some good resources. The website, we have um, a lot of blogs. We have a lot of free resources. And then our Instagram um, and TikTok is all designed for all the skills that we've talked about. A lot of the skills um, that the book was built on, you can find on all of our social media platforms. It's intentional. We wanted to be able to, to put good stuff out into the social media world. So there's a lot of free skills, free resources, and, and information that people have access to. And again, shoot me a DM and tell me that you heard the show and we always have free gifts for your listeners. So let me know. Yeah, that's great. You have got it going on. So on Instagram, it's official Joelle Trauma Therapy and also TikTok, joelle.trauma.therapy. So that's really cool. And you'll see the skills. You'll see Joelle. Like this whole thing is great. She has the YouTube channel. Everything will be listed. So make sure you check it out. And her website, Joelle Rabo Miletus. I just really want to acknowledge you for this beautiful work, outstanding work that you're doing in our world and, and every state right now and changing lives and also giving therapists so much confidence and hope about the work we do. And today that was really uh, a wonderful gift. So thank you, Joelle. Thanks, Cindy, for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the Heart Censored Therapist podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, stay heart-centered. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.